Did you know 90% of top performers have a high emotional intelligence and a higher than average annual income? As one of the most highly valued skill sets, emotional intelligence or EI is what distinguishes outstanding leaders. Deepen your EI skills today with the Daniel Goleman Emotional Intelligence course, a 12-week online course to develop your inner capacity, become a stellar leader, and build high-performance teams. Save your seat and $50 with the coupon code PODCAST. Learn more at courses.keystepmedia.com. That's courses.key stepmedia.com. Don't forget to enter coupon code PODCAST at checkout for $50 off your registration. What does stress mean to you? Um, stress means when you're like working really hard on something and want to do it, but it doesn't really work and you're struggling to try to make it so you can do it. Example, maybe if you like feel like you're getting too many treats at Halloween, because it would be overflowing and you'd probably be dropping candy we worked hard to get. What kind of things make you feel the most relaxed? Uh, being in my bed. It's like a soft, cushy place where I can just rest. And snuggling. Well, snuggling is like love. And I don't mean be snuggling with someone who I trust a lot. You're listening to First Person Plural, Emotional Intelligence and Beyond. I'm Hanuman Goldman, and I'm here with my co-host, Liz. She's great. Hey, Liz! Oh, it's so nice to laugh with you, because one of the things we're talking about today is renewal. And I don't know about you, but laughter is a big source of renewal for me. So important. It's the best. We need it. I'm looking forward to today's bonus episode with Daniel Goldman and Dr. Richard Boyatzis. Richard is a professor of organizational behavior, psychology, and cognitive science at Case Western Reserve University, and he and Dan have collaborated across the decades on a variety of works and projects related to emotional intelligence, including co-developing the 12 competence model of emotional intelligence and co-developing the emotional social competence inventory, a 360 assessment for measuring strengths across the competencies of EI. That's right. And it's really exciting for me to be able to offer Dan and Richard in conversation together because they have been colleagues for decades. They both had the same mentor, David McClelland, when they were starting off in their careers. And and their careers have supported each other for many of those years. So this is a really fantastic conversation to, to be able to offer. In this episode, Dan and Richard discuss the science behind renewal, as well as their latest assessment, the Personal Sustainability Index. Known as the PSI, this short assessment serves as a self-monitoring tool for stress and renewal so that you can get a snapshot of your own well-being. It concludes with recommendations for integrating more renewal into your daily life. One of the things I think is really interesting about this assessment, Hanuman, is that unlike some assessments that are kind of, you know, I'm thinking about the ESCII 360 itself, right? It's very long to be able to take that assessment, both from a self-reporting and to get others to um, assess you and provide their feedback. The PSI, we mean it when we say it's a short assessment. You can complete this assessment in like five to six minutes, and it's meant to be completed continually. So like each week, you could take this assessment just to get that snapshot And I've probably taken this assessment five or six times over the past couple of years. I've integrated into my coaching practice at certain points. And I think it's really interesting to see how things change from week to week or month to month or season to season in terms of what our stress levels are, what the external factors in our environment are that might be causing us anxiety, and then what kind of practices we're able to integrate into our life to counterbalance that. Yeah, I think right now, most of us have a sense of 
overwhelm and uh, stress just based on the last year and a half generally in the world. And what the PSI offers uh, when I've done it recently is it's a lens to, to understand that in your life. It's sort of a structured way to gauge where you're at in any given moment. And it can be really helpful because the overwhelm and stress is cloudy. So uh, this is a clarifying uh, sort of an assessment. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is real. We sort of lose track of where we are, right? We're just kind of in our lives competing with whatever stresses we're experiencing, engaging in whatever activities we are. And what I appreciate about this tool is it's almost like a tracking device. If used continually, you can really go back and get a snapshot and see some of the larger cycles that are at play. And in this sense, it's a great tool for uh, building self-awareness. So let's hear straight from the developers of the PSI. We're pleased to bring you Daniel Goleman and Richard Boyatzis. Richard, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. And for our listeners, I'd like you to know that Richard and I are very old friends. We went to graduate school together. Uh, we had the same mentor, David McClellan. We've done lots of work together over the years, including on emotional intelligence and this latest version actually, for me, goes back to my dissertation at Harvard, which was on uh, meditation as a way of reducing stress in our lives. And uh, Richard has been doing work in this area for a long time. And what we've done is put together uh, an index, an assessment anyone can use to evaluate how much, what are the sources of stress in my life? Uh, and um, what can I do about it? What? How can I counter it? Uh, Richard, what would you add to that? And first, I'd like to... I, thank you. Thanks, Dan. And yes, you and I have been working together since 1968, just to put a, a, an actual year on it. But the insight for this test and this whole idea about the measurement came out of work that you were doing in your thesis. I was doing when I was working with alcoholics in, in the 70s. And later on, as it became clearer, that we understood a lot about the sympathetic nervous system, the stress, the way the body reacts to stress. What we didn't do is understand anywhere near as much the hormonal system that allows us to ameliorate the negative effects of stress, and that's called the parasympathetic nervous system. So that as we were working on various research things and writing projects, and, and in fact, in our 2002 book, we talked about trying to help people move more towards this positive attractor state, it became clear that, first, people have a lot of stress in their lives pre-COVID because annoying stress is the biggest culprit, typically. You know, your cell phone drops a call. Two, the amount of stress that we felt pre-COVID, I have to emphasize that, because COVID introduced an acute stressor, financial stressors, social stressors, social isolation, and then was coterminous with the horrible situations going on socially and politically and all the rest of it. But the point is that even pre-COVID, the amount of stress that we experienced compromised our immune system, our cognitive functioning, our perceptual functioning, how much we can look and see in the environment, and our ability to be open to new ideas and people. So the challenge that you'll recall, and, and we had played around with this a number of decades ago, but it, helping people look at how much stress or renewal in their lives was actually depressing people. So we, you and I stopped doing it for a while. But when someone asked us if we could help people with this, I, I think the most brilliant idea that you and I came up with was that people can't help themselves by lowering their stress enough. So if you lower your stress level or you try to do things that have less stress, you're still getting stressed and you're still having the negative effects. Nothing is changing your body's system. The real insight was there is only one way to ameliorate the damages, the cognitive, emotional, interpersonal uh, damages from stress, which is to go into these things that we've called renewal, which technically activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And that was when you and I started to comb the medical literature for all sorts of snippets, then look for repeated studies saying that certain things 
have enough confirmation for men, for women, all races, cultures tested, that when you do them, it activates this parasympathetic nervous system and therefore truly helps us rebalance our body, our mind, and our spirit. That's well said. Let me uh, circle back and unpack parts of that for our listeners. First of all, you said, and I think this is a really important point, you know, it's just gotten worse with COVID. Uh, One thing you mentioned, the planet is heating. A lot of people are suffering heat domes, as they're called. Uh, This is not going to go away. It's going to get worse. Um, people are having to work at home and figure out how can I be in that meeting, Zoom meeting, when my kids are at home and keep them off the screen. But the number of hassles that we have to face is just escalated. And that does a number of things. It damages our ability to be at our best in many ways. And I just want to list each of them because I think they're very important. Sure. One you mentioned is cognitive, mentally. You know, the the range of our attention, the nimbleness of our focus uh, gets very fixated and narrow because that's what the body does when it's under stress. So we don't see as much. We can't be as creative. We can't entertain new ideas so easily. Well, and in fact, I mean, we just get very specific on one of them on the issue of perceptually. Do you can you scan the environment? Can you see? Notice what other people are feeling or other things, competitors. And that one study that was done by a group of colleagues in London who used nasal sprays to stimulate the stress response or or the parasympathetic renewal response, they found that the normal peripheral vision that we most of us have is about 180 degrees. Even if we're looking straight ahead, we can notice things out 180 degrees. Well, it drops to 30 degrees when we're under a mild stress arousal. And the example I've often used is when uh, some manager or executive says, I want you to think outside the box. People in the room can't because they can't see the box. I mean, if you, the more you increase the stress, the less people can scan. And, and that manager just up the stress level by that point yeah, of That's right. And that is independent, but also then coalesces with the other thing you mentioned. People are less creative because they don't feel free and open. They are being more defensive and when you're defensive you don't break open new ideas i'm just thinking about that manager it translates directly to how parents talk to their kids right you know (laughs) kids do something that frustrate you or you know and and so you yell at them and that makes it harder to do what you want since you aren't trying to address the marital therapy part of this podcast's application. We won't talk about how spouses talk to spouses or partners, but anyway, the same thing applies. No, the same thing applies. Yeah, same thing applies. So in other words, the emotions that you communicate, your tone of voice particularly, or your whole being, can help or hurt the other person. They can add stress or they can lessen stress. Sorry, I was just reminded of something. Back in 1969, 70, 71, when you or I were in a bunch of clinical courses and getting trained as therapists, one of the things that we were taught to do was to de-escalate conflict, to try to bring down the emotional intensity, to try to get people to a point where they might be able to see or think about something else. Physiologically, that was very, very important because we're not going to help people. I mean, one example I've often used is, you know, if you're in a argue, heated argument with your spouse or partner, that is not the time to say, calm down, because it doesn't help. It's so the, not the time to ask yourself the question, why am I with this person? Because you're like, <laughs> get the right answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but the cognitively also means you literally can't handle things that are very complicated when you're under even mild stress. So we've mapped out how stress damages us. Let's talk a little bit about how the opposite can work, what you call the parasympathetic nervous system or uplifts or uh, refreshers, renewals is a term I like to use. You know, when when you mentioned the study where they used a spray to create stress, I, I believe I remember they used oxytocin. Yes. Uh, which oxytocin. For the, for the parasympathetic, for the renewal. 
sometimes called the love hormone. It makes you want to be with people, enjoy people. And it turns out that we naturally produce this when we're with people we love, you know, our mm-hmm. kids, our grandkids, our spouse, our good friends, uh, our pets. Yeah, or petting a dog or a cat or a horse. All of these count. These yeah. are not irrelevant. These are ways we can count yeah. stress. And uh, it's important to know, do I have enough of this in my life? That's what this assessment actually helps people realize is, what do I have now and what am I missing? Before we jump into the what, to, what are they, let's go back to this, your, your question just a moment ago, which is, how does this renewal parasympathetic activation work on the human organism? Yes. First, it turns on your immune system. So your immune system, in terms of all the biomarkers, are much better functioning under that state, and they're somewhat compromised under stress. If you have chronic stress, constant stress, and never have any recovery, right, uh, you get into a state called frazzle, which is terrible for the immune system. It, yeah. In fact, it can damage your immune system and make you far more susceptible to colds that otherwise you wouldn't get, to flus, to dis- viruses of all kind, not to mention. And some of the neurobiologists have done a number of studies showing that people who live under consistent and constant sources of stress actually do damage to the proteins in their mitochondrial DNA, which is to say you're doing genetic damage. Now, the good news is it can be reversed, but nonetheless, it's not like you're just affecting your mood. You're affecting your body. Well, and another bit of data along those lines, constant stress, unremitting stress, also shrinks the hippocampus which is the site of working memory. Uh, so when you're doing a task and you hold something in mind, you're using your working memory. But if you're under intense, constant stress, that part of the brain is not going to work as well. Well, and as you know, it has a further implication because the hippocampus is so pivotal in learning, both explicit learning, I'm trying to learn this new thing, and implicit learning where you know you, you practice something to the point where it becomes unconscious in your behavior. And that was what was shown in one of those, you know, great studies done on the London taxi drivers, uh, that if we help people by alleviating stress, we actually allow the hippocampus to remain strong and vital. The shrinking of it means there's less neural tissue to create new pathways, new associations. But that leads to the physiological part of it, that under even mild stress, your body starts to constrict blood vessels, capillaries, to put blood to the parts of the body that it believes is are needed for defense, which is large muscles in your arms and legs. The, the renewal process does the opposite. It opens up these capillaries, and the one result is your blood pressure drops. Another is your pulse rate slows. Another is that you have deeper breathing. And all of those things have very positive effects on these other factors, as well as your ongoing tissue, you know, the health of your heart. And you don't feel, as you said, frazzled. And it's not just biology. It turns out that these renewals, as we call them, the times in your day when you feel refreshed, when you can recover, it reverses the ill effects of stress. That's right. And we also have data, by the way, to suggest that when you're under even a mild stress uh, experience or um, activity, one of the things that happens is uh, the process of neurogenesis, of the conversion of stem cells in your brain to new neurons, is slowed down or stopped entirely. And that when you're in this renewal zone, it actually activates it. So your body actually starts to regenerate. And as you said, not only is it real biology, but it affects your mood and it affects your sense of your spirit. And and that's where you and I chose to use the term renewal uh, quite a few years ago, because that's what it feels like, because that's what's going on. Yeah. It's like a new you. Old you is that stressed out one that you really bummed out about. And the new one is like, oh, I can think again. I can love again. I can do all the things that make life worth living. Right. Some psychologists have gone back and forth 
around the psychological mood parts of this. They're not even talking about the biology and talking about how one experience is deflating and the other is inflating. In other words, does it pull energy out or suck the energy out of you like the Dementors, the guards from the prison of Azkaban, or does it fill you with a sense of energy and hope? One of the things you just mentioned I'd like to come back to because we're making an argument why it's important to have a certain amount of renewal in contrast to stress. And that's what you and I chose to assess in this PSI, the Personal Sustainability Index, because what we said was it doesn't matter how much you're doing of these two things independently. It matters how much they are relative to each other. So we ask people to look at a bunch of the well-validated in the medical and psychological literature stress activities and renewal activities, and then to compare them. And we chose to use a typical week because we wanted to focus on the more natural or typical things that people have. Most of the prior work on stress looked at more episodic, hopefully things like getting divorced or buying a house. What we found in the research confirmed, because you and I did three studies, it worked well, we decided to do another three studies, and that was the second set is uh, what we published a number of months ago. And it does show that if the amount of renewal is greater than the amount of stress during a typical week, you're more empathic, you're less depressed, you're less anxious, you're more resilient, you enjoy your job and career more, you're more engaged, you're, you have more of a subjective sense of well-being, et cetera, et cetera. But we also found something that we've been talking about since you and I, since the 70s. And I remember trying to make this point when I was doing therapy with alcoholics that, you know, if you just change your addiction, so if you stop drinking, but you start exercising six hours a day, you're just changing addiction. You're actually not helping yourself. So what we finally were able to do in these studies that we published was show that the variety of things that you use for renewal is as powerful as the amount of renewal. Now, how does that translate to what we would do ordinarily day to day? It means that it's more important for us to have more frequent, shorter moments. In other words, it's more important to have six, seven, eight, 15-minute breaks during the day in which you go into renewal than to have a whole hour or a whole hour and a half. Let's share with people what these renewals might be. Sure. I mean, maybe um, hanging out with your dog who loves you unconditionally and petting the dog. That's renewing. Yeah. Yes. A lot of love there. And as you mentioned earlier, meditating. with a child. Yes. Especially if you're playing with the child and periodically laughing with them. Laughing itself is a renewal. Laughing with someone. Uh, talking about something that's very meaningful to you with a, a close friend or your spouse or someone who is really interested in listening. Yeah. And almost anything that arouses your sense of purpose or your feeling of hope will have this profound effect. Now, also, let's not forget what you did your thesis on um, many years ago, which was meditating helps. So what I found was that if you had meditated and then you got stressed, you recovered more quickly. Mm. That finding has been replicated many, many times by many different researchers. I recently reviewed the science of meditation in a book called Altered Traits. And there are three interesting phases to getting upset. One is that you get triggered often. The second is that when you're triggered, you feel it very intensely, get super anxious, super angry. And the third is you don't recover, meaning you end up thinking about that thing that upset you in the middle of the night, a a day later, a week later. It's still upsetting you. So it helps to not get triggered so much, to be triggered less intensely if you are, because you can't control that. And also recover more quickly. And guess what does that? Meditation. It turns out it changes how the brain reacts to stress. So I'm a big advocate, but you can get 
similar effects as, as the scale points out through having a, a, a good range of renewals in it. Well, let's, let's talk about the physical um, or kinetic ones, meditation, yoga, modest physical exercise, even a walk in nature. Those are activities that have become very, very clear, as we said in a number of studies, that people can do and some of us do daily. Part of the mechanism, as um, you know from your earlier work, is are, are skills that you build in there that you can use easily in other settings, like slow, deep breathing. I mean, it, it, the studies have shown that if somebody is an experienced meditator or does a lot of yoga or um, in particular Tai Chi of martial arts, that they can use deep breathing to flip this hormonal system in a minute. I mean, it's amazing how fast it can be. Actually, the, you don't have to be a yoga or Tai Chi practitioner. You can simply practice that skill as a skill set. And I'll tell you how to do it right now. It's very easy. You take a long, deep breath so your belly fills out. You hold it as long as is comfortable. And then you let it out very, very slowly. And you do that six to nine times. And it turns out, lo and behold, as you said, you flip your physiology. You go from being stressed to being relaxed. My internist at, at the Cleveland Clinic used to uh, used to always be alarmed at how high my blood pressure was when I'd come in for my physicals. And that was even with the medicine I was taking. And all of a sudden, one time, this is about uh, eight years ago, uh, the nurse had taken my uh, blood pressure and it was high. And then so a little while later, the uh, my internist comes in and and she takes it again. And I'm almost not not quite normal, but almost normal. And she looked at me. She said, were you deep breathing? <laughs> and I was. That's good. That, that was how I did it. Um, so the, there's one category, which are things that you could do alone. There is the other category that you're doing with other people, as you and I talked about, playing with children, having a meaningful conversation, uh, having fun and laughter with family or relatives or friends, and uh, then with pets or or animals, that ends up being very, very renewing. I mean, there's no other way to talk about how it makes you feel. Stress has always been with us, but I think it may be worse than ever for more people than ever right now. First of all, COVID. Many people are in lockdown. Uh, we thought we were out of lockdown, but now, uh-oh, there's a new variant, and we're going back in lockdown. And that means that we're not going into work, we're maybe losing our job, maybe having to balance family and work. Maybe our kids are out of school. Maybe they're very unhappy that they're not seeing their friends. The list goes on and on. And then if you read about what's happening to the planet, how it's warming inexorably, uh, you read about the political divides that are so uh, worrisome and unpleasant or you know, it's one thing after another. I think stress may be higher than ever, which is why, one reason why we've brought out the Personal Sustainability Index, the PSI, just now. Because sustainability, personal sustainability is the essence. How much stress can you manage? How much does you in? And what can you do about it? And this assessment looks at both what are the sources of troubles and stress in your life? And how can you balance it? So we're really offering this as a, as a service that's needed, I think, now more than ever. And there are all sorts of evidence or markers that suggest this really is an extreme time. One, we've got a dramatic increase in feeling in people feeling anxious and depressed. And doctors are getting beleaguered with requests for more pharmaceutical solutions, which have its own negative complications at times. Uh, and we're seeing really sadly more suicide. But you're right, Dan, that on top of all the usual stressors that were building up and not very healthy for us, we added an acute stressor of COVID. 
And the idea of getting it was frightening. And because you couldn't see it, and at the beginning, remember, we didn't know how it was transmitted, where people were wiping down groceries they brought back from the store. There was a lot of real anxiety. On top of that, um, we had millions and millions of people out of work. And other people were doing work, but afraid they would be out of work. So there was a lot of financial disruption. And then we had all of the both political and social disruption. You know, some of it was the effort to seek more social justice, but it still was pretty anxiety producing for everybody, even those seeking social justice. And then we have what we're getting now as we start to see in various parts of the country and the world, we're starting to see the Delta variant, um, the curve flatten and in fact go to nothing. And now they're talking about the Lambda variant and all this. But what we've got is a profound sense of social disruption and loneliness. And no matter how much you stream videos on Netflix or Amazon Prime, no matter how much you review Facebook friends, it's not the same as interacting with people. And the worry right now is the long effects of COVID, the long COVID, as they're talking about, is going to have huge emotional and and mental health effects because people are being denied the one thing that makes us unique, which is our ability to be social and work with others. Uh, by the way, I had forgotten one of the other e-pieces that also helps renewal, speaking of being social, is helping others, hmm. uh, either in a volunteering or just going out and helping, whether it's family members or people less fortunate or the elderly is very renewing. I tell my graduate students all the time, helping elderly professors really helps their bodies renew and uh, gets them closer to heaven. But no, but seriously, the, the whole issue about uh, helping others, especially when they're in need, is a very another interpersonal act that does physiologically trip all these things in in a positive way. And what we're talking about is when we start to flip our body's state and we start to allow ourselves, it, it's not just feeling relief which is, you know, when the pain stops, you feel relief. But we're actually talking about something that's much more exciting is when you're in um, this zone in which you're open, you're loving, you're healthy, you're caring. And boy, if there's any place where we could be in tune with other people and the environment, this is it. Anybody can use the PSI. It's for everybody. Uh, you can use it in an, in an organization, in a business. You can use it individually. Uh, it's it's for you, whoever you are. And the way we designed it, it helps people by taking an inventory of how it is in this past week. And it's self-administered and enables a person to do it again, you know, uh, if they are that concerned every week. I don't think people have to. Because as soon as you fill it out, and then start to look back at the, your answers and how they rate with a lot of other people. And I've been using it in a lot of seminars where I have people just go into breakouts and talk about, you know, what did they learn from it? And there are an amazing number of people who actually are doing well right now. Uh, let me use an example. I fell early in the COVID thing. I was washing rugs and I fell taking the device back down to the basement and um, I didn't break anything, but I had a real bruise and a real large injury on my elbow. So after a couple months, you know, I said, this isn't going away. I talked to my internist. He sent me to a specialist and the specialist said, okay, I, I don't want to do surgery because I think we want the body to reabsorb all these fluids and that'll help. But I want you to have your arm immobile. So I'm going to ask you to put your arm in a splint, not a cast, just a splint. So I'm talking to the nurse who's fitting me for this device and going through how I should use it. And this is all happening last September. And one of the things I asked her about was how she was doing. 
And she said to me, well, for 12 weeks, I was deployed to Boston Hope. And in Boston, Boston Hope was the new hospital they created at the convention center to house a thousand people who were suffering from COVID. And when she used the word deployed, my ears perked up. And I said, wow, that must have been heavy. And she said, yes, it was uh, because all of a sudden I'm, she said, although I'm, I'm a trained nurse and I'm, I do a lot of respiratory therapy. Now I do a lot of physical therapy and uh, help people with PT and all that. But she said, all of a sudden I'm back working in intensive care. And she said, and there were very long days. So I asked her how she handled it. And she started to tell me the story that so moved me that a week later I called her and we did another interview. So I wanted to make sure I was hearing this correctly. She instinctively decided that even though she was having these very, um, she said, you know, heart rending is minor compared to how it just makes you feel because they were, she was working with the people that were suffering the most. And in fact, um, everybody was worried that a number of them, too many of them, if as if there's a number, a quota, would die. So she decided right away to not affect her physical fitness routine. So she got up earlier in the morning and went for her run, because uh, all of this was happening in uh, April and May and into June. Uh, and so it was possible. She ran along the various uh, Commonwealth Avenue and parts of the Esplanade in Boston and all that. Then she went out of the way to organize certain social get-togethers, sometimes on Zoom, uh, sometimes uh, even with certain of her close friends, where they would dine together, but, you know, physically at quite a distance. And when they would do those evenings, they intentionally didn't talk about what they were doing during the day. They talked about other things that, you know, were either fun memories or things they were looking forward to when all this was over and they could travel again. She said, I also, I meditate and I made sure I was sticking with my meditation practice. And she was going out of her way to call various family members that she hadn't seen or talked to in a while to reconnect. And she said, I, you know, I felt like I was spreading joy, which she was. And given that she was trying to handle both herself, but other people, she was a great example of somebody who knew that she was not just under a lot of stress, but under acute stress. And in this case, it really was life or death of others and decided to use all the different things that helped her at various points, but continue using them all at once. And it was marvelous. I mean, her spirit was great. Uh, she, you know, now by the point I was talking to her and working with her, she was back. But it was a very, very poignant example for me. It's a wonderful example of how someone can be intentional about renewals. I, I think it's important to point out the PSI is not for other people to monitor you. It's for you to know what's my stress level and what can I do to renew myself and counter the stress. If you do it in an organization, in a business or in a group, then all the scores are aggregated. They're average. You don't know who got what score, but it tells you, are we as a group having too high a stress? What can we do to help people handle it better? So it's very useful information in an organization, uh, just as it is individually. But remember, it's not for monitoring. Your score is confidential to you. And if it's average with other people, no one will know what your score was. The kind of halfway point between you individually and an organization are a lot of people are a part of study groups, book clubs, uh, groups where close friends get together once a week or once every two weeks to talk about certain things. Those kinds of groups, which we technically call peer coaching now, are perfect for this kind of activity. Again, the sitting by yourself and thinking about it is useful. But if you are 
feeling more of the negative effects of stress. In other words, your renewal scores aren't sufficiently high or frequent enough. That's when you really want to be talking about it with others. And as long as the others are caring people, it can be a very, very enjoyable and, in fact, renewing event talking about how you scored and what the implications might be, what you might do about it. Well, also, other people might help you uh, brainstorm ways you can get more renewal. Just listening, for example, the story of the nurse who created groups, potentially, that's helpful. What a great idea. I never thought of it. So one of the things, for example, that someone might want to do is prayer. That turns out to be a renewal activity. Yes. Maybe you never thought of it that way, you know, but it's very positive, very hopeful. In other words, we have a list, but that's not the end of the, that's not the whole universe of renewals. This, uh, the list of activities that we suggest are ones that have been validated in research that we know from the scientific point of view work, but you know, that's right. We have a great idea for you that's not on the list. Go right ahead, try it out. Yes, because once you start to do these things on a regular basis and you feel what it's like, we call it technically increasing your somatic awareness. How much are you aware of how you're feeling? And and most of us know what it feels like when we're stressed, but we don't understand what it feels like when we're in renewal. We confuse it with rest or relaxation or boredom. And it's it's a kind of different state. But once you start to feel it and you know those sensations, as you said, Dan, you can experiment with a wide variety of other things and find something that might work for you. So, for example, one thing not on the list is listening to music for a very understandable reason. The research is out there to say that listening to certain music for certain people really works, but it's different. And part of it ends up being, for one person, it could be, For me, West Montgomery, you know, uh, guitar jazz is phenomenal. But there are other times in which I got to say, especially when I'm back at the university in Cleveland and it's one of those gray days in October, November, the kind of whole winter, you know, I start the morning playing uh, Bob Marley and uh, the Whalers in my office, or sometimes I'll flip to the Beach Boys. So the issue ends up being that listening to music works. For some people, certain kinds of music work. And for some of us, certain kinds of music work at different days and when we're in different moods. You know, a, a good question is, how can an organization use this? And what if, uh, for example, they find out that their team on average, you know, has a lot of stress? I think that's a wake-up call, particularly if this is your high-level executive team, because we know that emotions spread and that emotions spread most powerfully from the most powerful person outward. So if you've got leaders in your organization who are feeling depressed or anxious because they're stressed, that ripples out into the whole organization, and it's going to hamper how effective you are. So one of the dilemmas, is, which is something that a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of, is that we now have ample evidence in the field of neuroscience uh, that When people are working towards things that are abstract, like financials or targets like that, and they have a lot of metrics and goals, the ordinary human is stressed, and we start to feel defensive. We start to worry about whether or not we can prove that we're uh, up to the task of these things. And I suspect, having watched this for many decades, that when executives open meetings with financials, they actually turn people off, not because they aren't important, but because if that's what you do to set the mood, your mood is now anxiety-driven because the analytic mode has a lot of similar activations in your brain. It's called the task-positive mode network, uh, technically, that stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, the stress response. So we inadvertently in many organizations, by becoming very financially oriented or very metric driven, stimulate more stress. Now, again, you need goals, you need financials, you need all these things. But a lot of it has to do with whether or not 
that permeates the organization. So to take some of our activities and put it into a group setting or an organizational setting, what could a manager or an executive do to open a meeting to create a different mood, to create a more open cognitive ability? He or she could start the meeting by talking about our shared sense of purpose. Not how well are we doing right now, but why are we doing this? I've watched certain CEOs of healthcare companies open meetings and have various people tell stories of patients that were helped, which makes everybody feel, ah, you know, my job as a physician isn't to make budget, it's to help heal people. And people feel proud of it. So talking about moments where things have gone really well, where you've served others, where you've innovated or created things, could be a very nice way to open a meeting. Five minutes, ten minutes at the most. And what you do by helping people start in this renewal, parasympathetic activation, is you make them better able to think analytically and to be more cognitive and uh, solve problems later. So some of it has to do with sequencing. And, you know, all too often when managers or executives start meetings, what they're doing is passing along all of the, the, the garbage that got dumped on their heads. You know, so by the time everybody, to use your term, is in the meeting, you know, they get into the meeting, they're frazzled before the meeting get, really gets rolling. And they feel pretty much that way when they leave. So what what could a company, for example, do if they find that their people, their managers, their workers are overly stressed? Well, one possibility is to atomize and spray Valium throughout the company every morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, I don't advocate inappropriate use of pharmaceuticals. <laughs> but but the idea is, I mean, let's let's look at the imagery. What could a person do that might set a tone in an organization, what we sometimes call climate, that makes people feel more renewed, engaged? Some of it starts out with something that is amazingly simple within our ability to do, is to smile at each other. You, you and I, then have some colleagues and good friends who have done a lot of work on these kind of facial expressions like Paul Ekman and others. And it's amazing how if you actually smile genuinely with another person, you're setting off these things. Uh, I have a number of more junior colleagues who I'm doing a lot of work with, and a few of them I decided are a really good coach for me. And one of them always would start a meeting by saying, hey, let's check in. Let's just see, you know, what's you in our lives since we last talked. And there was a kind of task-oriented, analytic part of me that used to say, you know, Jesus, you know, we're wasting time. Let's just get to the task. And then I realized after doing it, you know, for a number of different things that other people liked it. And then I said to myself, you know, I'm enjoying hearing about this stuff. Maybe I'm liking it, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> so, so here we are. We go into COVID, and the biggest issue that I missed is seeing my colleagues in the halls, you know, the brief encounters that happen multiple times in a day because we weren't even allowed in the building for months and months. So I've now come to really appreciate this check-in period as being a moment in which we can remind each other that we're human. You know, you just have to be a little careful that if everybody checks in with how lousy the week has been, you know, it can get depressing. But, you know, if people start out talking about some things they may be troubled about, but some things that are going well and they're excited about, it ends up being one of those acts everybody can do. And it doesn't take a lot of time. One thing you could do is go around and ask people, uh, what did you appreciate or what were you grateful for this week? Right. Then you'll get positives. Now, that's at the person-to-person level, but I'm also wondering, you know, business has a human resources department. What could they be offering? For example, could they teach, um, offer a course in Medicaid? Okay. One, one thing is to pay attention to the wellness system. And I know of many companies, actually most 
large organizations have wellness programs, and they've moved them out of the employee assistance area, which means helping people that are having trouble, into common practices. And in fact, other places, like even my university, if you participate in some of the wellness programs, you get a discount off of your healthcare costs and your premiums. So I know a lot of organizations that have been doing wellness activities and um, having them fairly widespread. I would also say an, uh, an organization can help people form these, what I would call study groups or peer coaching groups. They don't have to manage them. They don't have to provide facilitators, but just talk it up so that people can get together. So your interaction with other people at work isn't always about tasks. Sometimes you take a lunch time and you chat about how things are going, you know, with your families and life. Another activity to go back to the helping others in need is for an organization to sponsor some pro-social activities, volunteer work, or either encourage people to do it in their own communities if it's a widely geographically dispersed company, or focus. Uh, I, I remember years ago when Colleen Barrett was the CEO of Southwest Airlines, she felt personally very strongly that Ronald McDonald House was a very important uh, thing to care for families uh, and in particular children who were in hospitals. So she asked every Southwest Airlines office in each at each airport, you know, they, they had a certain amount of their time and money they could use to donate to other causes that they saw fit. But she asked everyone to donate a certain number of hours of volunteer work every month to the Ronald McDonald House in their area. And that was another way to encourage it, to say, you know, this is a good thing. You know, it's not just an HR activity to take away some guilt. This is a thing that we should be doing for our communities. Makes you feel good and makes other people feel good. I feel that helping people lessen stress and improve the positive moments in their lives basically makes their lives better and makes the world a better place. I love to teach the world to sing. (laughs) Not that many years ago, but actually now it's probably 25 years ago. Dan, you and I talked about, wouldn't it be great if we could help people do 1 billion more emotionally intelligent acts a year? And in that spirit, in one of my recent books, uh, my most recent book, I, I, I wrote with Melvin Smith and Ellen Van Ossen, but in Chapter 10, I opened by saying, because the book's about helping others, and I opened by saying, we're in very narcissistic times. I mean, if, if you doubt that, when did selfies become the most popular form of photography? I mean, we live in very narcissistic times all over the world, and we add that to our feeling of anxiety from all this stress and we're getting very judgmental and we're tearing people apart instead of the opposite the antidote has got to be caring for others and you can't care for others unless you have some degree of hope and compassion and gratitude so i'm hoping that by using this not only will people's lives get better But in particular, we'll see their relationships at home. We'll see the children grow up with, they can have goals and aspirations, but not without the unrelenting fear that too many have. We can see people start to be able to talk to each other, even if they have differences of opinion, which we seem to be losing, uh, and learn to reach out to each other, being human seems to be really difficult these days, but I think this is one of the important building blocks.
one of the great things about this tool is that it made me personally recognize in my life what are those renewal activities? You know, some of the some of the things that this uh, assessment asks you. You know, have you been around a baby or a small child? Have yes. you have you pet an animal lately? You know, and it's yeah. like these are things that I think we all know bring us joy or some or kind of our way to kind of regulate our own nervous system, and yet to see them listed out just takes it that extra step of thinking, oh, I haven't pet an animal. It's very easy to devalue, to, to devalue these simple activities that seem like they're they're not doing anything, they're not getting anywhere, they're not producing something, right? We're very production oriented. When I'm deep in stress and overwhelm, it is a wall. I can't I can't see beyond it. I can't see the way out of it. You know, I feel like I've I've gone under under the surface and uh, and can't quite get that that gasp of air. And what I appreciate about the PSI is that, like you're saying, it offers a window into what exactly it is that I could integrate into my life. A walk in nature does wonders. And just to remember that, it's so hard just to remember that when you're in the throes of stress overwhelm. And this assessment offers so much of that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you even just using the word integration because I think, you know, I at times uh, have been very guilty of kind of swinging the pendulum around this area. So for example, I think work-life balance is such an interesting term, right? Because I know for me, I've been at points like a work hard, play hard. I'm like, all right, I'm going to work hard. Then I'm going to take a big break or go treat myself to some sort of like elaborate moment of of self-care. And actually what this assessment does is it really shows us ways that we can integrate very small micro moments into our daily routine that can drastically change our sense of well-being. And so I really appreciate that about this assessment. Totally. Kaya and I just got a a little pop-up badminton set. You know, we work in our living room now. So we've been taking badminton breaks throughout the day, just like five, 10 minutes, just hit a little birdie around for a while. And it's so fun. And it changes our entire moment. You know, like everything shifts. We come back new people. I love what you just said. It makes me feel like you've created a little like micro Silicon Valley office environment, like within your own living room, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah they learned from us. So. They did. They did. They did. <laughs> One thing this makes me think about Hanuman is our interview with Lori Santos, where she's talking about happiness measured through life satisfaction and life satisfaction measured through being happy with our lives and in our lives. And I actually think the PSI is a great tool to sort of get at, like, where is there an accumulation of stress that we can address with some very small shifts in how we're spending our time? That is so hopeful. It's so hopeful what you just said. The the small changes that we can make that have massive impact. And I think that that's particularly true with stress and renewal. Like you're talking about these small ways, literally 30 seconds of, of doing something that is truly a renewal activity and getting fully into it, disengaging from this stressful experience and, and immersing in a pleasant kindness to your system. And I, I, I keep using this term stress overwhelm because that's quite familiar to me right now. I'm having a fairly overwhelming time generally. Uh, but my experience is that if I'm able to remember to do that in a day, I end up at the end of that day not feeling depleted. I end up at the end of the day not feeling like I have to play hard. I can just be right where I'm at. And, and it breaks this cycle. I, I, I think that when we're in the throes of it, it's hard to see through it. And we don't understand that it doesn't actually take that much to... Our mm. systems are so thirsty for kindness and, and care. And so any little drop of it just goes so far I, is my experience. Yeah, and I think it's also a great example of what we know about behavior change, right? That it can happen incrementally and that it's really about just staying consistent over time. It doesn't have to be about, we don't change on a dime, right? We personally don't change on a dime. Society does not change on a dime. It's a it's a slow incremental process. And I, so I do think this assessment really gives us some, some ways to sort of approach well-being in a very incremental way. When we're over-
overwhelmed, taking stock of the sources of our stress and renewal is an important first step towards fostering balance and restoration. The Personal Sustainability Index, the PSI, developed by Richard Boyatzis and Daniel Goleman, has previously only been used for research, but it is now available to everyone through our shop at keystepmedia.com shop. If you have a leadership role in an organization, the PSI is also an excellent way to take the pulse of your workplace culture to understand the stress levels in your team. That important information can help you make the changes you need to support your colleagues. You can find it at keystepmedia.com shop. Thanks for listening to First Person Plural, EI and Beyond. Subscribe now and sign up for our newsletter to get notified as new episodes are released. This show is brought to you by our co-hosts, Daniel Goleman, Hanuman Goleman, and Elizabeth Solomon, and is supported by Keystep Media, your source for personal and professional development materials focused on mindfulness, leadership, and emotional intelligence. Special thanks to Sujata, whose voice you heard at the top of the show, and to today's guest, Richard Boyatzis. For guest bios, transcripts, and resources mentioned in today's episode, check out our episode notes on our website, firstpersonplural.com. This episode was written and produced by Elizabeth Solomon and me, Gabriela Acosta. Episode art and production support by Bryant Johnson. Music in this episode includes theme music by Amber Ojeda. Until next time, be well. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate our show and submit a review. It helps us spread the word about the show. If you want to go the extra mile to support our show, you can become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can get exclusive access to extended interviews and behind-the-scenes content. Sign up at patreon.com slash firstpersonplural.